Here's an interesting fact. The Australian bottled water industry is worth a whopping $600 million a year. And that's a lot when you think about the fact that we can access water for free every day from the taps in our homes. Here's another fact that's possibly more heartbreaking than it is interesting. The number of people who don't have access to clean water is close to three times that. It's 900 million people. 900 million people around the world are not able to access clean or safe water for themselves and their families. Now, if you're, if you're anything like me, you hear that number and you just want to throw your hands up in the air. It's just way too hard, way too big, out of my control, and I just wouldn't even know where to start. However, at the age of 19, my next guest came across those same two numbers, and he made a different choice. As a result of his choice, he created a thriving company, a company which to date has donated nearly $6 million in profits to get safe water, sanitation, food, and maternal health programs to people in need. So what does it really take to turn a moment of passion, you know, that moment of that's just not good enough, into a global movement? Not only a movement, but a profitable company with the infrastructure and strength to actually tackle some of the world's largest social issues. My name is Julie Masters and you're listening to the Inside Influence podcast, where I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers to get to the bottom of what it takes to own your influence, own your voice, and then amplify it to drive an idea, an industry, a conversation, or a nation. founder of Thank You, Daniel Flynn. Now, I first heard of Daniel through a friend who was telling me there was this amazing new talented entrepreneur on the speaking market. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll check him out. A year or so later, I heard of him again through a friend of mine that's a publisher. And she was telling me about this team and this founder and CEO who had the insane idea of writing a book about their journey, putting it in all the bookstores and then charging nothing for it. Instead, they were going to ask for a donation a donation based on what the customer thought the book, the journey, and the mission was worth. Now, at that point, I was like, I've got to meet this guy. I've spent a lot of time with some amazing entrepreneurs, and believe me, that journey of influence is tough enough. But Daniel's journey is unique, mainly because he somehow took a cause that he believed in and managed to make hundreds of thousands, millions of everyday people care about it just as much as he did. To the extent where one customer paid $50,000 for that book. $50,000. Other customers flew planes in the sky and wrote messages of support. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time a customer wrote my name in the sky. And days after this conversation, I turned on Instagram and Barack Obama had requested an interview with Daniel. Not the other way around. Barack Obama had requested the interview. So this is a man that I, I can promise you is well worth hearing from. In this conversation, we dig deep into how to build a movement from zero to $6 million in global impact. We talked about the power and the necessity of epic storytelling. We talked about how to lose 95% of your customers in one year. I did say 95% and still show up, 
even when every bone in your body wants to go home and give up. We talked about hacking attention, the tools to get noticed in a crowded space. And believe me, he knows more about this than most. The game-changing magic of simple requests and scaling impact, why leaders inadvertently crush their own ideas as their businesses grow from strength to strength. So sit back with your bottle of thank you water and enjoy my interview with Daniel Flynn. Okay, Daniel Flynn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Welcome to Inside Influence. Um, I've been wanting to talk to you for ages. Okay. So I'm very thrilled, very thrilled that you're here. I'm going to kick straight into it and I'm going to start the way that I always start, which is with introvert versus extrovert Mm -hmm. as a question. So brief bit of background. I find that often there's a story or people have a story that they can't have a voice, amplify Mm. their voice, make a change because they're not an extrovert. Mm. And so I'm just doing a bit of social research at the moment. Look, I feel like this question is confronting because I should know myself better. Like this is an easy question. I think there is part of me that's an extrovert. Like I will jump up in the moment and people see that side of me and and I see that side of me but the truth is there's a probably an introvert part of me that is quite reserved and shy um give me a cause and a story to tell and a reason to tell it and I'm out but um outside of that I can be pretty quiet and um you know that's me the way my head works is like if I see something, I find it really hard to unsee it, you know, and when it's there, I'll, I'll latch onto it. And, you know, it's, I, I can't let go. And, and so when I see something and I can't let go and I think it's important and other people need to know, then I'm out and I'll share it and I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. So let's go back, let's start going back in time. I want to go back in time eight years. So I think mm-hmm. thank you has been around for eight years now. Eight, ju- well, just, just, yeah, eight, eight and a half, nearly nine. Nearly nine yeah. years. And I saw an interview with you, and in the interview you were talking about the role of naivety yeah. in making a difference or making an impact. Yeah. And so walk me through how that journey began. You were obviously, you obviously feel like you were quite naive in the beginnings. Totally. Uh, you know, we talk about naivety was kind of back then and, and now, in fact, I feel like I'm fighting to keep the naivety, fighting to keep that um, belief in the impossible. And in the early days, you know, the classic opening line, um, which I've shared before, but it, it, it sums up, thank you. We had this idea. We thought we could change the world through bottled water. We saw 4,500 children dying every day from waterborne disease. We saw that in 2008, 900 million people didn't have access to clean water. That's huge. It's huge. And I was personally very moved by that and very uncomfortable by that and then saw the bottled water industry as... A, the dumbest thing ever, $50 billion spent in 2008. Um, it's $100 billion now. But I also saw it as an opportunity. I couldn't unsee the two numbers and I thought we should launch a brand of bottled water that literally funds water projects, gives all the profit, and the naivety kicks in because well, we just thought we could do it. And Jared's first question, who's, who's my best mate and co-founder, um, along with Justine, but he, his first question was, bro... So how, how do you start a bottled water company? Like we had no idea and, and we Googled it and that's honestly how we do everything. Like we had no idea, but we Googled it and that's... So hang on, you Googled how to start a bottled water company. Yeah, and Google was very good to I us. Did it, and very Google good. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Obviously Google did a good job. Yeah, and, and, and like that simple idea 
we just we keep rolling that out today as we expand into new markets and new things. And I, I do honestly, I'm not trying to show my age, but I do do wonder how people did it before Google. I don't know. I mean, my experience of Googling is usually 2 a.m. Yeah. when you're up with a, a sick child and you're Googling the symptoms. And by and large, they always have dengue fever yeah, or yeah, malaria yeah, or really heavy stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, Google's usually not a good idea for yeah, me. So not, not I'm glad <laughs> that somebody got something good out of Googling. Yeah. So you've had this idea, you've had this epic yeah. idea and you go to put it into, you go to put it into action. Now in that moment, it seems like you decided very early on to create a movement rather than a company. Yeah. Why? Were you conscious of that, of making that choice? Um, I think we probably stumbled into it more than we started with a sentence, let's create a movement. But the idea at its core was around empowerment. The idea was what if we could change the world and not we being three co-founders, we being the consumer. And therein lies the movement. But what if we could turn probably the dumbest product purchase on the planet into something more impactful and so I think the whole core of thank you is this idea that it is a movement that alone one person can make a difference but my view at 19 was on my own I probably can't do much but together maybe we could change the world and that is the the movement idea that really was our core and we've built on you know for nearly nine years what I mean, you said you were 19 yeah. when you started it. Yeah. I mean, I know I can think back to being 19 and you make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And that's usually a period of time where you make your most mistakes and you're doing it, you know, with a pretty massive, massive plan. What were some of those mistakes that you made early on when you thought, I need to get this, I need to A, create a movement. Yeah. Obviously, B, I need to get it out there. Yeah. What were the mistakes? Well, I mean, we made a lot of technical mistakes, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, we didn't know what we were doing and, and, and we're kind of feeling our way around in the dark. Uh, I think, though, it was because we didn't know what we were doing, we were actually able to blaze a trail that no one had before. Um, and what I mean by this is we would meet with big uh, manufacturers and they would give us the same story that everyone was giving us. There are two big competitors. You're going up against some of the largest beverage companies in the world. They're not going to let you in. And even if you wanted to, you'd have to have a lot of money. You know, there are quotes of a couple of hundred grand. Some people talk about millions in marketing. And, but even a couple of hundred grand to us was impossible um, to come up with on our own. And so these meetings would sort of feel like little fails. Like, oh, that didn't work or that pitch didn't go well. They said no. And at the time it would feel like, well, we must have done it wrong. But actually I think we were doing it right. We were just learning the harsh reality of the system, the status quo, the way the industry operates. And it was out of that that led to us, one could argue naively or boldly, breaking through. So what did that first pitch look like? I'm trying to envisage it. You guys are in a room. You're in a room with some pretty big you know, I know those industries, pretty yeah. big players. Yeah. Walk me through that first pitch. Okay, so the, the, the very first pitch was um, actually a fascinating one because we used this business term we'd heard, we'd borrowed it. And, and in the meeting we said we were launching a huge brand of bottled water. 
and it was met with skepticism and, well, you'd have to do X, Y, Z, you need this much money and so on. And people would say, but what's your idea? Like what, what is your idea that you think you essentially have a right to play? And we said in the first couple of meetings, well, we can't share the idea with you due to confidentiality. Uh. So like we're, we're kind of bluffing our way here, but we can't share it with you. We just need to know if you're big enough to bottle for our brand. Now, some people just thought we were idiots. Other people would then list off, well, to do business with us, you'd have to do minimum 2 million units a year. You'd have to do this. But as they were listing off, they're literally gifting us all this information on how it works. So our first few meetings become huge information kind of sucking sessions where we are learning how to start a bottled water company, what we need. And it wasn't until the fifth factory where we truly pitched. And when we pitched the idea, we knew enough about what this factory would probably be looking for to tick a few boxes, but we shared this idea. We shared the passion, the vision, and really we asked them if, if we could find a customer, would you back it? And that's a pretty low risk. Um, he said yes, um, which is a big call because there's no money up front for him. But we've said, if we can, would mm. you? So it's kind of like... So you're making it an easy yes almost. A very easy yes. A lower bar, an yep. easier yes, if we can bring you something guaranteed. Yeah, and, and actually I've probably never heard someone put it like that, an easy yes, but that's exactly what it was. And that built to another easy yes, which was with a company called Vizzy. And we pitched to them and said, we have a factory on board because they are. And we're hoping to launch, but would you be up for sponsoring some bottles? Now, Viz is a billion-dollar company. They sponsor $3,000 worth of bottles, which isn't much, but we were happy because now we've got Viz, a billion-dollar company, and a factory. So two kind of easy yeses, which led to the third one. The third one was a big yes, but because we had momentum and our story was building, not just the idea but the story, the uh, third meetings with the largest distributor of beverages in our country. And we pitch bold. We, we, we literally are there going, we're going to change the world. We have a factory, we have Vizzy, and we will be meeting with all the different competitors in this space, but you're the largest. We came to you first. Are you in? And what was the answer? Yes, and we'll take 50,000 bottles from you. How quick can you get it to us? And did your heart just sink in that moment? Well, yeah, no, actually it was a massive awkward pause. I am, um, the problem was um, we didn't know much about manufacturing lead time. So we, we, we said three weeks to which our factory manager nearly died because he's like, that's not possible. Um, but, and we got it done in about five weeks. But that big yes came from a series of small kind of easy yeses, but that closed the loop and um, yeah, the rest was kind of history. Well, looking at that history, I'm, I remember watch, I was watching some videos this morning preparing for yep. you for you to come in. And one of the things, one of those milestone moments that when I heard about it, I remember thinking my heart dropped for you, yeah. which was when you lost 300 out of 350 customers yeah. in one year. Yeah. So I'll just say that again. You had 350 customers yeah. and you lost 300 of them yeah. in one year. Yeah. How did that come about and yeah. how do you, again, with a, big idea, mm. looking to make a big impact. How did you not just take your lunchbox home in that moment mm. and decide to do something else? Yeah, it's a good question because I I, mean, I still remember when it happened. Um, we, were, we were a year in. That year wasn't easy 
um, our launch had had a, a label issue on the bottle, so there was a product recall. <laughs> so our, our launch was a product recall, and that was like a messy six months. But we relaunched. We built up to 350 customers, and then our factory, he, he promised tomorrow you'll have product. Sorry, Friday, Tuesday, Friday. And for five weeks he promised, but product never came. And he had other issues with manufacturing, breakdowns, and then the next minute he wanted a deal from a supermarket. And we went down his priority list, and in five weeks we, lost, we, we literally see 300 of our 350 customers walk away. And that was shattering. It was like everything we've built for over a year now has come crashing down. And oh, we wanted to pack up our lunchbox. We wanted to walk away. We, we yeah, I mean, it hurt. <laughs> the funny thing was there were two retailers looking at the idea. And so in our heads, we're like, we've lost all these customers. But if one says yes, we'll relaunch and it will be all good. And I think my most crashing moment wasn't the 300 customers, although that was bad, but it's when we relaunch with a new factory and then both retailers come back saying no. Oh, wow. Both then launching their own brand of bottled water that funded water projects. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause you, I'm gonna pause you there. Yeah. Because as you know, this podcast is about influence and it's about impact and it's about you know owning your voice, getting yeah. out there in an industry, mm. starting a movement, however, whatever influence looks like to you. But one of the biggest things about influence in my experience is how you influence yourself. Mm -hmm. That's why this podcast is called Inside Influence because it starts. Yeah. It starts there. So you're in that moment. Mm -hmm. How did you like how did you choose to influence yourself in that moment or over that period of time? Yeah. There's a couple of interesting points. Um, my first one would be that I was so shattered and I think, you know, it's easy to, to be brave and say to everyone, I've got it under control, it's all part of it, everyone fails, fail fast. Or, <laughs> but like I was shattered. I was like, this is not what I signed up for. And the thing that really got me is if this was like Daniel Flynn water, sure, but this is like an idea that's about helping humanity. This is not about corporate greed. This is not... And it's like, this is so unjust. And I think for me, when I talk about cause, it's like, it's like there's, if I see injustice or something is not right, while it hurts and while it is crushing, it also builds like a, a resolve. It, and, and I think there's two things we can do in disappointing moments. We can kind of let that energy and that feeling we have absolutely crush us and we can't and we're paralyzed or it kind of goes in and you you use that to build you even stronger. And people ask us later on in our story, there's some crazy things we did. They're like, how did you have the courage? So, well, actually, it's because we, we took in these crushing moments and we, we, we let them kind of uh, brew and let them sit there and, and not look at ourselves as total failures, but go, what can, what can we learn? We shouldn't have put all our eggs in one basket. We shouldn't have done that. We, you know, and and it, it, it's pretty crazy stuff. But with good people around you, and I say that because I'm not smart enough to figure that out on my own. I had Justine and Jared. Justine is probably my personal greatest encourager. We're now married, and we we are co-founders together. But she is so like she can encourage me like no one else can. And then I've got great mentors around me, and it's with that circle around you 
but you can actually use these crashing moments to build you. I remember one of my mentors early on in my business journey, I went to them with something that had gone wrong. I can't even remember what it was now. And they sat down and all they said was, you got to feel this pain, feel the pain. Because it's only through feeling the pain yeah. that you will do it differently next time. If you move too quickly and you don't choose to feel the pain, yeah. then you're going to make exactly the same mistake yeah. this time next year, the yeah. year after that. Wow. And it's exactly what you're saying. You've, yeah. you've got to feel it yeah. and then choose to do something about it. Now, I like your mentors. One of my mentors said basically that but not eloquent. He just said, this is business. Toughen up. Suck it up. I was like, what? I'm like, I'm not catching up with you again. Who are you? You know, but I, we still catch up. He's very valuable. But yeah, um, but yeah it's, it's the point. Yeah, another one of hers was you're going to have to put your big girl pants on now. Wow. Yeah, again, not eloquent, yeah. but effective. Gets the point across. Effective. So, all right, you've, you've, you've got through that. You've got through that. And what it seems happened after that, just from the outside, mm. is you guys either hit upon magically mm-hmm. or found your way to a way of, I call it epic storytelling, yeah. a way of telling stories that captured the minds and imagination and energy of a community that was large enough to get you where you want to go. And yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that journey more. Yeah. But what did you, what did you, was it a magic thing that you just suddenly hit upon where you're like, okay, we, we've got to tell amazing stories here if we're going to be able to create the change we want to create? Uh, it, it wasn't as clear cut as you just put it there. I think that moment we talked about was at year one and a half. Our next two years are continual fails. Our next two years is no from every retailer in our country. Two years. Two years. So in total, our first three years is slapped in the face. No, 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 no. Um, one, one supermarket said, we'll stock you. We got production ready. Then they pulled out. So like, like we, we are shattered for three years in a row. But the thing that, that got us thinking about storytelling was – Every human we spoke to, so every person from my mum to friends to family to people we meet in the street, you tell them this concept of if there was a bottle available that did this, would you buy it? Yes. Would you choose it over another brand? Of course I would. And so we were like, but everyone is on board with us. But the big blockage is the retailers. They look at us like we're this little, little fish in a huge ocean. We the big pushback was you don't have the marketing budget or the launch power that the big brands have. We cannot take them off the shelf and put you on it. That's not how this industry works. So, so for three years we're going, that's the narrative we are being told yet what we're hearing from people is that they want to be part of this, which is why we've stuck at it for three years. And that helped us piece together, um, not a made up story, at Thank You, our goal in storytelling is to tell the true story because people buy into what is actually going on. We just, we just told our story in a succinct, not that succinct way, but people then woke up to, you guys have had a tough run. You need my help? Yeah, we do, and here's how. And with the call to action and the narrative, stuff began to blow up. So what did that look like the, the first time? So the, you figured this thing out about storytelling is yeah. we've got people that want to do something yeah. here. We know what we want them to do. Yeah. The gap between those two things is 
is a story, something that people can tell, yeah. share, buy into. Yeah. What was the first time you tried it? Okay. So the first time we tried it uh, was we called it the 7-Eleven campaign. We had 12,000 followers on Facebook. Now today on our social channels it would be over three, 400,000 people, but this is just 12,000 people, most of which we probably knew them from events we'd met people we bumped to in the street. These are really passionate people. And it looks like a really dodgy recording of a video of Justine and I standing there saying, hey, everybody, two weeks from today, we've booked a meeting with 7-Eleven Australia. And right now we're asking you to jump onto their Facebook wall to say 7-Eleven, if you stock thank you water, I'd buy it. Now we mentioned that we hadn't got in for three years, but we thought with the people's support, maybe they'd be interested. So you put this video on YouTube? Yeah. And then what? Then it kind of blows up. Now, it's certainly not viral in what we call today terms viral, but it was viral enough to get hundreds of people singing, dancing and rapping, uploading videos of themselves doing it onto the 7-Eleven Facebook wall. Now, full disclosure, a few of those singing and dancing, rapping people were our friends and family. We'd called them up and said, you are going to record a video and you have to do this. And they're like, What? But actually, when they heard about it, they're like, no, that's cool, I'm in. And a few videos pop up, encourage a few more people. And that's how the movement built. More people got on board. Then media started covering the crazy stuff going on on social media. And then it kind of spiraled. And there's, there's a key in there around simplicity. Yeah. You know, the simplicity of request. Yeah. What is it that you want me? What simple thing can I do that will help you that means that I can easily get on with my life again afterwards? I, was, I had a conversation yesterday actually with an amazing man who's starting a biotech firm mm. basically and his goal is to take antibiotics out of the food chain. Wow. Huge great big goals, I know, and he's got Huge. stats coming out of his ears yeah. on this and he was due to pitch today actually, I think now. Wow. He's due to pitch somebody that can make that idea a reality. Mm. And we were talking about, he was I just don't know what story to tell. I've got mm. a lot of science, I've got a lot of stats, mm. I just don't know how to tell this story and and I was saying you just need to what is what is the one thing Mm. you want someone to do and Mm. and why do you want them to do it yeah and if you can get that simple enough then you stand the chance of somebody doing it Mm -hmm. and I think I've seen the 7-Eleven campaign you just you made it so easy so simple a problem that is hugely complex yeah just enough so that people could jump on and go I'll give that a go it'll take me 30 seconds yeah and that is the secret and I think most people miss it because they're solving complex stuff. I wanted to tell our three-year story. And then that happened and then that happened and then that person screwed us and then that company promised and they copied us. Like you wanted to no. What's the main purpose? What is the core why? And what is the call to action? And when you can get to that, to your point, people get involved. And that's the same with any, any – I mean speaking. I know you do an awful yeah. lot of speaking now as well. Same thing with a presentation. Yeah. You, know, you need to end it with what's, what, what's the one thing you want to invite them, dare them, yeah. request of them. Yeah. Because only then people do something. Otherwise it goes into the bucket of all the other things that are overwhelming yeah. out there in the world. That's it. Talking about, again, the things that didn't work. I remember um, I was listening to an interview with Blake Mikowski, who was the yeah, Tom's founder, yeah, yeah. who you probably yeah. Yeah, hear a lot. Work. Yeah, um, and he was saying he was, it was his moment that he was about to give up. Mm. And he said, I just, I can't remember what had happened, but it had been crushing. And he was at mm. the airport and he was done. Like he was going home, he was done. 
and he's at the airport and he looks across and there's a lady stood there mm-hmm. in Tom's shoes. Mm-hmm. And he asked her, oh, I really like your shoes. Where mm-hmm. did you where'd you get those? And she said, it's this amazing company. And she tells him his whole story yeah, wow. about this company. And she had watched a video on YouTube, bought into the idea wow. and gone and bought some shoes. Wow. And... Again, you just seem to implicitly know that. One of your quotes was, I just think of the stories and it keeps me going. Mm. So obviously you use storytelling not only externally in the world to get people on board, but you also use it within your own mind to keep yourself connected to what you're doing. Yeah, that's true. That is, if you you could dissect my brain most days, I'm telling a narrative, a story that I am buying into and I believe in. Um, can you tell me what that is? Well, I can tell you a little bit of it. Um, probably not all of it in the sense of part of the way I, I kind of tell stories is I'm thinking what's next and after that and after that. So if I told you, you basically get a whole business plan, which may change, but, um, without getting into some of the details I am talking about and I am thinking through honestly launch ideas that are probably two, three years off scripts, campaigns, how would I present that? And when someone crushes, because the crushing didn't stop, it continues. And the bigger we get, the more meetings you find yourself in and you're like, what? When does this crushing stop? And it will never stop if you truly are pioneering and you're willing to keep trying to take new ground. People continue to tell us that's not going to work. The nappy market, which we just launched into, people said you won't get in. We got in, now it's you won't stay in. And, you know, and, and people are always telling you a narrative. You have to tell yourself a different one. So you essentially think in stories. Yeah. As a way of keeping yourself, keeping yourself on and in. Yeah, I've, I've never been pointed. Uh, no one's ever sort of hit me up and, and, and put it like that. But it's, it's true. In fact, yesterday at our leadership retreat, I was, I was struggling to comprehend a challenge from the team. Um, and they were, they, were, they, were, they were really challenging me on, a, on an idea that I had. My God, we need to do this for this reason. And they're like, but why? I'm like, because can't you understand the story? It would be so powerful. And, and, and he hits me up and he's like, no, that's not how this works. You do the work and then the story comes. And he's right. But there's a part of me that, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of battling thinking, the challenge for all of us is you need stories to tell yourself to keep moving forward but you also can't force a narrative you can create in it but you've got to be willing to pivot some of the stories I told myself years ago here's what and we'll do this and then we'll do that and then this will happen I had to be willing when things changed to be able to change the some of the details of the narrative the core purpose doesn't change the overall story doesn't thank you our our purpose statement is um, to empower humanity to choose a world without poverty my overall story is this idea of empowering humanity. How many people are part of humanity? Lots. <laughs> How big is global poverty? Big. But well, we want to see it gone. And so that's the overarching thing that's not changing. And then I've got a few different storylines on how we could get there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep moving because there's so much about your story that's, that I want to cover. So you've got, you've got your stories that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. The next part of that is obviously finding a platform. Mm-hmm. And another one of the things I think, having witnessed your journey for at least a portion of it, yeah. that you do incredibly well is hack attention. Mm. Like you have come up with some, and we're going to cover some now, some amazing 
attention hacks that I, I remember looking at at the time mm. because, you know, I know a few people that, that know you and one or two of them in particular, I was like, that is a ballsy, ballsy move that, mm. you, just, that you just made and you've pulled each of them off. Mm. So the first, the first attention hack, you sunrise. Yeah. You get on sunrise. Just walk me through. So you've got this story. Firstly, what was that story? And how did you how did you get it on primetime morning television? Okay. So there there is the first sunrise moment was a letter to the producer, uh, written and then wrapped around a bottle and couriered to his desk. I love so that. So couriering because it looks more important, <laughs> you know, someone has to sign for it, you know, okay. Um, so so we, we hacked our way in there. Now I wasn't sure if it would land, but when his PA called two days later saying uh, Adam would like to fly out for a meeting. I was like, "You're kidding me!" Like a free flight to Sydney, you know? Like it was <laughs> like that, that's the bit that was exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole thing was, but um, we didn't have any money back then. So we we come up to Sydney, and when I, when I'm in the room with him, what got him was in that letter I had outlined to him personally some of the challenges of the first three years. Because for three years we had failed and it was very confronting. Now, those stories didn't all end up on national TV. But I think they made the point to him, here's some kids who are committed like probably he hadn't seen before. And that was the feedback he had. His first question was, are you for real? I said, what do you mean? He goes, how much do you make from this? So it was very to the point. And I said, well, we don't get paid a salary. Um, one day we want to get paid salaries based on the charitable sector, but at this point, you know, first three years we haven't. And then he goes, cool, I knew it. And then he, he, I think what he bought into was, you guys have walked a really tough journey. And my pitch to him was, I just asked for 15 minutes with him. And, and I got the 15 and, and the idea was, well, I was planning to ask him, could we tell some of our story? Because I think this will resonate with Australia because we all want to change the world, but often we've all got a barrier in front of us. Thank you's got one. Retailers don't believe in us, but maybe we could help change that narrative. Before I had time to kind of pitch that and share that, he just, he pitched an idea to me and he said, you know, could, could we fly you to Cambodia, film the few projects you have done, um, film all your factories and we'll do a two day feature on Sunrise. You know what's amazing about that, yeah. other than it just being amazing? What's amazing about that is that it seems like to that producer what made the difference wasn't your successes but it was actually your failures. And I think well, that's worth picking up on because yeah. often the natural response that we have to our failures yeah. is to push them aside, hope yeah. nobody finds out about them, yeah. never mention them again and just talk about the things that we've done that have worked. And you flipped that. Well, you flipped that. You went to him and the the thing that caught his attention and the thing that made him believe in you was the very thing that most people would have hidden. Yeah, and that's because, I mean, I think, and we've, I understand this now, that authenticity is, I think, the one thing that will change every story. And if a story is authentic, which means true, which means there's crap in it that you can't hide, if you're willing to tell that, I mean, I buy into authenticity. But I think, and, and more and more, we're getting smarter and we can spot something that is hiding elements. We put it all out on the table and um, you're right. I think that's what got it over the line. And interestingly, he then begins to jump in on the narrative and he has an idea on how it could change. And a lot of our storytelling is really offering a platform for people 
to do what they want, take to kind of create their own story and together we make Thank You Bigger. So what happens? So they fly you, yeah. fly you to Cambodia, you film, it's two days worth. Yep. And again, I mean, I know what happened next and one of the things you did again is you made a very specific request. Yeah. So there was a, a campaign we'd created which was very bold and we'd, we'd, we'd thought of this for two years. It wasn't a fresh idea um, because for years now, um, 7-Eleven were on board, but Coles and Woolworths wouldn't stock our water. Um, what most people didn't know is we developed a food range and a body care range to fund food and health programs, but this was part of a really big master plan or story we wanted to tell. So the challenge we've got is if for five years it was two supermarkets don't take one product, everyone would say well, it would be impossible to get at the time we had 14 products in. But now we have Sunrise who are telling our thank you water story and here's the wells in Cambodia and here's what these kids are doing. Um, and that's right around the time we launched this little YouTube video. And I say YouTube video because it was pretty controversial and I think Sunrise probably couldn't have covered it. But then they did because the video kind of went viral. So they end up covering the Coles and Woolworths campaign. So hang on. So you've got the Sunrise piece, yeah. which is basically about you guys. Very feel-good story of the impact we're making. And at the same time, you launched another campaign via YouTube, which was... Well, it was it was called the Coles and Woolworths campaign. So, th so that happened a little bit after. So essentially, we took all of the excitement that had come in. So the traffic on our website, this is all happening. We gave it a bit of space and we launched the Coles and Woolworths campaign, to which Sunrise actually covered as well. So they kind of did a follow-up. Hey, remember these guys? Now they want to get in the supermarkets in Australia. They need your help. And the Coles and Woolworths campaign video was a little more, uh, little, little more production than Justine and I talking to a camera. It was a one-take, seven-and-a-half-minute video that were launched on YouTube and Facebook saying two weeks from today we're presenting not just our water, but for the last two years, we've developed a food and body care range. We think we can empower Australians to make multiple purchases to end global poverty. Come with us. For five years, the supermarkets have said no. Today, we're asking you to upload a post or a video onto their Facebook wall. And we said two weeks from today, we've booked a meeting with both of them. So you've got two weeks to help us get this done. So what happened? So uh, a lot happened in two weeks. Um, <laughs> I've seen. A few phone calls, uh, you know, that uh, I let go to Message Bank because I was a bit nervous when Coles are more worse cold. But we've done something now that is unheard of because we've put the two biggest supermarkets who hate each other in the same sentence. We've branded it. We've launched it. And people sung, dance, rapped like in 7-Eleven. I think media covered this one to a whole new level because it was controversial. Didn't it crash a page? Oh, yeah, our website crashed. Our, look, every time we launch, we always double-check our website won't crash, and then it does. So we get some really good traffic um, or our tech needs a bit more support. So people are rapping, singing... Dancing. Dancing. Two guys I know flew helicopters over Sydney. So that's my favourite day. That, that, that was uh, a week and a half into the campaign where Peter and Jeff, these pilots, donate their time, fly two 30 by 30 metre signs. Uh, the one in Sydney said, Dear Woolworths, thank you for changing the world, in brackets if you say yes, because we haven't met yet. And it flies over the city and then around the head office for half an hour. And the same happened in Melbourne also to Coles. Is there a... A part, part of you in that moment 
the part of you that had those first three years that's looking up at the sky and seeing these huge signs and helicopters and and people rapping and posting videos and did you just look at that and kind of go how did we get here yeah i am or were you just so relieved at that moment well well, you gotta understand we were so sleep deprived so this is going down media and some was positive. There's a bit of negative, a whole bunch of trolls. Like it was a really intense two weeks. And in fact, the day the helicopters flew the night before we had our strongest media lineup ever. Everyone was saying, we're going to cover you, but you better. The, the one producer said, you better pray that baby's not born tomorrow. Now that, that morning, Prince uh, George was born. So we oh, lose. So we got royal interruption. Royal interruption. So we've got the helicopters flying and no media coverage, but look, they the head officers certainly saw our signs, which was the point. But I remember that the night before the pitch, I was um, preparing till about three in the morning, and I hadn't slept much, and I also hadn't watched many videos of people because I was we were flat out. But three a.m. till about five in the morning, I should have been sleeping. But I watched video after video and I just had tears streaming down my face and I couldn't believe that what we've been doing now for five years had gathered so much support and I'm like, I need to go to bed, but I can't believe what people have done. Some I knew, most I had never met in my life and it was kind of at that moment for me that I went, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm going to give it my all because other people have and, and, and we'll go from there. Well, you you would have gone to bed knowing you gave it your very best shot in that moment. I mean, I can't imagine, can't imagine what else you could have done. You you said also in another either interview or video, deep down every person wants to change something or make a difference. Yeah. How do we do it? How do you tap into the little part of everybody that wants to change the world and do it in a way that's really simple? How do you do it? I mean, that is that is the core of thank you because even in that campaign you've got helicopter pilots who one would argue, but you'll never get someone to fly and for free and that whole stunt could have cost 50 grand, but it was all sponsored. But we had kids who were recording, you know, songs on their guitar at home and like everyone I believe does want to do something good and thank you has been a way of un- unlocking that, but it's not a brand they're not doing it for a brand of founders or for product. They're doing it for an idea. More than that, a purpose. And what I think is interesting about thank you is, you know, I, I say, particularly to our sales team, I'm like, we are not salespeople. We are storytellers and we are inviting people to write with us. And I think if people can find a way to invite people to write their own narrative, like, one morning I woke up and I flew my helicopter and we took on the super... Like, if, if people can can write their own way, see how they can make an impact on a bigger idea, I think that's how you do it. And that's what we've done at Thank You. The end of extreme poverty is the call to action. The, 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 the little call to action to get there is little moments like help us get into the supermarkets because when we do, millions of people will buy it and we'll raise millions of dollars and... And that's what we did. So again, breaking it down into having an elevated, powerful enough idea to start off with and breaking it down into simple, easy yeses Mm -hmm. along the way. You've just reminded me of a question I was going to ask you a little bit later, but now seems like a good time. I want to talk to you about scaling impact. Yeah. So allowing others to have ownership of an idea and then letting it go. 
And I know that having been a founder and knowing a lot of founders, that has to be one of the hardest things yeah. on the startup journey. What have you, because you've obviously done it. So what, what did you learn about letting your idea go and handing it over to a tribe of people? Yeah, I, you know, I think it started with letting it go to team members and realizing that if you don't let it go, you are literally squashing it. And when you let something go, I think the fear is, but then what if someone messes up or makes a mistake or, and, and the truth is, or they will, it won't go how you want it to. That's life. I make mistakes. We all do. And it's when you begin to manage that expectation around, like for me, really the role is to share the vision and the story and create space for some of the best graphic creative designers to join our team and then write their own story and start doing the world's best design and all this, you know, things that win awards and I love it, but I can't control all that. Back in the day, I used to. I'd be like, no, I want those hands there and I want that logo there. And that font. Can and I that, change that, that font? font. And yeah. like, I'm the queen of you fonts. Know, in fact, if, if one of our, or some of our early designers are listening to this who volunteer with us, they would remember days where I would look over their shoulder for the whole design session. You know, and I'd be like, nah, more centered. And I thought I was some creative director genius. I was just a really annoying kid. And so I've learned to step back then we thank you, the movement of people. I mean, we are having stories now that honestly just send us like chills. Like why did someone do that? Two kids, um, when I say kids, early 20s, but oh, I shouldn't say kids, but I'm 28. But they, they walked 100 kilometres about a month ago carrying 25 litres of water each. They walked 100 kilometres straight. It took them like 36 hours to raise money for thank you and raise awareness. I'm like, what? But we didn't control that, design it. We, we've just created a platform where people are starting to do their own thing. And sometimes it's totally in line with what we're doing. Sometimes it's a little off brand as some marketers have put it, but you know what? This isn't a brand we're building, it's a movement and you can't and shouldn't control a movement. Isn't that one of the most compelling differences between the two, that first question, do you want to build a company or do you want to build a movement? Yeah. Like, a company is about a brand. A movement is about a tribe of people behind an idea. Yeah. And like you said, you can't control. Yeah. You can't control an idea, but you can, as a leader, point it Correct. in a direction and hopefully set a tone. Yeah. A tone for it. Um, so spoiler alert. Yeah. You get into Coles and Woolworths. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. Which, like, I can't even imagine a world where that wouldn't have happened given yeah. everything that you put into that. Yeah. So... I want to move on to the next kind of probably the main moment where I where I watch from the sidelines and I was like, I have no idea how they're going to pull this off, yep. but it looks like they will, which was chapter one, yep. the book chapter one. Yep. So I've, I first heard about chapter one. I know the, the publisher yeah, yeah, well yeah. Yeah. and she was telling me all about it and I was like, that sounds amazing. And, and she said, but I'll tell you what is amazing about it. Mm. She said, this is a book about their journey to date. Mm. They're using it to raise money for their company, mm. but it doesn't have a price tag. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean it doesn't have? Well, is it free? And mm. she said, no, you can pay whatever you want for it. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that came into my head was people don't have the attention span mm -hmm. to figure that out. Yeah. And I'm... <laughs> Being very honest, at the airport, I remember thinking, well, I'm usually rushing for a flight. And if I pick up a book and somebody said to me, pay whatever you want for it, I'd probably go, ah, too hard. Like, just yeah, tell yeah. me how much it is. Yeah. 
So, so tell me, how did that idea come about? So you've, you've decided to write this book, another example of amazing storytelling. When was the moment where you suddenly said, do you know what, if someone wants to pay 20 cents or 20 bucks for this, I don't mind. What was the rationale behind that decision? So I think the way we approach everything at Thank You more and more as we've grown, probably from year three onwards, is the world is cluttered, busy, too hard to break through. No one has time. You don't have time. So if we're going to interrupt, A, we have to figure out how we're going to interrupt. And that means we're going to have to do things that basically make you feel uncomfortable or like that, no, that's not going to work. So that feeling you had when you saw the video, or how's that going to work? Great. We've got your attention. Now, we weren't afraid to hold the attention as long as we could. Like our launch video, which got 600,000 views in the first three or four, four weeks, was seven and a half minutes long. Now, that shouldn't work, but it did. And it, it got a huge, um, huge buy-in from it. But everything down to pay what you want. I mean, that is around challenging you because now as a consumer in an airport bookstore, you are used to doing it the way it's always been done. In fact, I'd, I'd almost argue as a consumer, you've probably never been asked at a counter, what would you like to pay? No, absolutely not. And it's confronting because, well, excuse me, that's not a real question. What, how, what would, what would normal people, and you start to, but what's happening now is it forces a conversation because the person behind the counter has to explain what the heck is going on. So again, it forces more storytelling. More storytelling. And, 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 and this is it because word of mouth is born on storytelling, but you've got to create these moments. Um, when we launch the book and you open it, it's printed the wrong way. Now, for listeners, imagine a book written landscape. And this was, again, just like pay what you want, a design to disrupt and break through. So our research said there's no best-selling book written landscape like this. Millions of books are written the other conventional way and our thinking was, well, let's change it. And I, I still remember the day we made that call because Justine and I were driving in the car and we're talking about how to stand out in the market. We're like, why aren't books written the other way? And by the end of the car trip, we didn't even have a book with us, but we were convinced this was the best idea because what's happened, now this was how we designed it, but it's what actually happened. People will read this on an aeroplane or in public and people will question them. So what, what, what's that? or people will look at them. And so now it's about visual cut through. Again, another moment where someone goes, oh, well, well, actually this is, have you heard about it? And so it's about storytelling. And that is about cutting through. But to me, pay what you want is a little deeper as well. It's a bet on humanity. Do you know, it's, that literally went through my head two seconds before you said it. There's an incredible amount of faith yeah. in that call. Yeah. An incredible amount of faith. Did it play out the way you expected it to? Uh, yes, and probably exceeded <laughs> um, because we, we took this bet, this faith call that humans are more good than they are bad. And we have had a heap of books purchased at five cents, literally. Now, that was always going to happen. It was always going to happen. You, you add shipping and you add all this stuff, you lose money. But um, the most paid, well, it started at 5,000. Two people had paid 5,000 in Auckland for it, which is crazy. So you've got people paying five cents, you've got people paying 5,000. 
The most ever paid was a week and a half ago at an event where someone purchased it for $7,500 and I couldn't believe it. We're 18 months in since we launched the book, seven and a half grand to our entire team's shock and we're humbled by the email we get from a lady who tops seven and a half grand with an online book order for $50,000. So, someone paid $50,000. For chapter one. Yeah. And not only did they do that, because I didn't know about this before, but what struck me is they didn't do it at an event. Nope. They hadn't just seen you speak for an hour and bought into your energy and your passion. They may have seen a video you don't know because you've not been able to speak to them. No. But at some point they got online and just in that little box where it says how much, they just put $50,000. Yeah. And... And I think I probably still haven't even fully processed what's happened because it's pretty fresh. It's like, how'd they do that? But this that story moves me and I'm equally moved by this kid, Landon, because his story, at first it's not, not $50,000, but he's 10. Um, his mum writes to us um, early on in Chapter 1 when he just finished buying his fourth book at $20. He'd saved up pocket money. His fourth book at 20 bucks, and he buys them for people he thinks should go on and change the world. It's his principal, his vice principal, his best friend. And how old is he? 10. Landon's now up to book number 18. And he, he, he literally gets his money from returning plastic bottles in South Australia, 10 cents a bottle. And when I hear Landon's story and that 50 grand, I'm like, mm, I think humanity is better than worse. You know what I mean? So yeah. that gamble paid off. The, that yeah. faith in humanity paid yeah. off. So we're at a total two point, over $2.4 million in revenue and at like a $1.8 million profit. And books, a bestseller in Australia is like 5,000 copies and be lucky to make 50 grand. So in 18 months, it's over 100,000 copies. It's completely blown up. And, it, and I think it's because of it's not, not really a book. People are buying into an idea and a story that they can be part of. And your, your goal for it, I think I remember your goal was 1.2 million? Yeah, 1.2 million was our kind of initial goal to raise enough money to launch into New Zealand and into the baby category. And then any money we make beyond that is building towards a bigger idea that we launch once New Zealand's launch. And that has taken a little longer than planned. So, And that's the idea that you're not discussing at the moment? Yeah, but I, uh, we launch in February in New Zealand. And once New Zealand's up and running, hopefully later next year, we'll see when we announce it. But... Um, you know, yeah. I would love to interview Landon for the podcast. Just, yeah. just FYI, cool, I'm going to cool. be hitting you up for his contact details. So I want to, I want, I want to go a little bit more personal sure. now. So we've done thank you, we've done storytelling, we've done hacking attention. I want to talk about where you, as a leader, where you've had to step up. In what ways have you had to step up in order to lead this movement? In order to influence that many people at that scale? given everything that you went through to get there? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I was at breakfast with a friend of mine who's a surfer and he runs a youth group. And, you know, he's, he's a leader, definitely. But, you know, he, he, he's not on the speaking circuit globally. You know, he's not a big name. But we're sitting at breakfast and he drops what I think is probably one of the greatest leadership quotes I've ever heard. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I feel like leading... Um, it's just, or leadership is just learning in front of more people. I'm like, Andy, where'd you get that? 
He's like, I don't know. I just reckon that's what leadership is. And I Google it. I'm like, Andy, no one has said that on Google. And leadership is learning in front of more people. And I think this process for nine years has literally been learning in front of more and more people. And unfortunately, what that also means is the mistakes get bigger and the flow and effect is bigger. And, you know, I in the last 12 months, it has been and I'm not just saying this for effect, but the hardest 12 months personally in, in our nine years. It, we've had to make some calls, some decisions, and they're the right call for thank you, for the movement, for the idea, for the cause. But in the process, people get hurt or disappointed, and it's that stuff that crushes me. And I think I've had to learn a lot technically. I've got a great board who just challenged me every day on technical stuff like I have to learn a lot like how to run a business how to make good decisions but I've also had to make calls which I believe in and they're right but they're just really hard to make and uh, I think yeah sometimes I've got it really right and people applaud that sometimes I got it really wrong and that sucks because I know I got it wrong too I know I could have done that better but that's that's learning how do you how do you move on from that moment? You know, that it is a crippling moment, especially as you said, learning in front of more people. The more people you learn in front of, the harder that moment. When you go home and you think, I, I screwed that up. Like yeah. I, and, I, and I know that I did. Yeah. I know that I screwed it up. Yeah. How do you, again, how do you influence yourself? How do you wake up the next morning? What do you tell yourself to yeah. get yourself back in the game? So I, again, I think that like the first part is like, yeah, every time I've pushed past grieving or pushed past like not crying, like try to just like be tough through it, it ends up crumbling worse later for me. Like I actually, so I think every time I've gone through this, I've had to learn that it's okay to just be a crying mess. It's okay to let it out and and realize, yeah, you've made a mistake. For me, it comes back to why. Why did I get in this? Not as in why did I get in this little mess we're in. Why did we get in this whole thing? What is the purpose? What is the bigger picture we're driving towards? And when I look at that, uh, for me, there are so many little stories within that. Uh, a kid named Vianney I met at age uh, 12. Uh, all, you know, all these different parents and families I've met in developing countries and seeing the lives uh, that have been impacted by our work. And for me, that ties back to our, our core purpose and our cause. And so I can get up on another day and another morning and go again, not because it's easy, not because the problem's gone away, because usually it hasn't. The bigger the problem, the harder to unwind it. But I've, I'm driven by a deeper purpose. Uh, someone once said a calling. I was like, yeah, good call. It's not a career, it's a calling. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm battered and I'm bruised, but I'm going to go again because I know my why. I know my purpose and um, and I'm, I've come too far now, so I'm not, not going to give up. I say nine-tenths of it is showing up. Yeah, I reckon. trusting that the rest will, and it doesn't always, but nine-tenths of it is always just having the guts to show up. Yeah, and I, I honestly think it, thank you for myself, our co-founders, our team. Um, well, on the outside in, people be like, you guys have this magical story. The truth is a layer down, we just showed up more than probably a lot of people would have. We just kept showing up and we'll keep showing up. Um, we've got some announcements later in the year which are kind of will make public some of the decisions that haven't gone well. And 
when we announce them, I'm looking forward to it because I like authentic, hey, here's what happened, here's what we learned, here's what we're into and here's where we're going. But they're going to be hard days because people will be disappointed. I'll be re-disappointed. But I think it doesn't matter. Someone could write something and that's the risk management. But if you, if you share your error or you share that mistake, what if articles are written, what if bloggers, what if, yeah, that'll probably all happen, but I'll show up again. And my dad said to me as a kid, he said this one line, he said, uh, Daniel, um, uh, a person of integrity expects to be believed. And when they're not, they let time prove them right. And what I've got from that is you can go through stuff that might make you look stupid. Like, how could you make an error like that? Or you're amateur. But time proves it. And time is literally about showing up again and again, sticking to your values, sticking to your purpose. And... Um, you're not giving up. So, so far in Thank You's journey, yeah. you've raised, the figures I have here, $3.3 million. We've got you? an update. No, okay. we, we have an update. A live update. What's a live, live update? So we're at $5.5 million. That's a fairly significant increase on 3.3. It is. $5.5 million and then 755,000 lives impacted from that, that 5.5. That's immense. That, that's absolutely immense. And I know that... One of your big ones at the moment is women dying in childbirth. Yeah. And that once every 90 seconds, I think it is, a woman yeah. dies in childbirth um, through lack of very, very basic um, help, aid and, mm. and skills around her. And in some of the communities you've been able to help through your baby products, there are now no maternal deaths, yeah. which just blows, you know, as a mother that and knowing how lonely and epic and connected and um, immense and awe-filled and terrifying that particular part of your life is, mm. regardless of how it goes. Yeah. That's huge. Mm. And I just want to say a very personal thank you for you for that. Wow. And that's a massive goal, no maternal deaths. Yeah. As my f second but one final question, what, knowing how immense that is, yeah. what practical advice do you have for anybody that, wants to make a change in the world, has a change in mind yeah. and just feels overwhelmed by the size, scale and proportion of it to the point where they may never end up doing anything about it. Yeah, I would say to them, I know exactly how that feels because I sat at my computer at 19, crying, moved, watching stories, thinking this isn't right, but also thinking a problem like 900 million people not having clean water, that's... You can't really make an impact on that. I know the feeling, um, the challenge put to me was start with one and I think that sounds cliche but I've, I've actually got to meet one or two or three, now thousands of people. But, and, and when I hear one story of one family or one kid, I'm like, huh, you know, if everything we'd gone through was for that, that was worth it. The power of stories is... <laughs> not a, it's not a building product companies and brands. It, the power of stories is it can literally make everything you've gone through worth it in one moment. And so it's important for me to get to the field to hear stories firsthand because that's what keeps me going. But I would encourage people start with something like an action, like start today, do something. Work to make an impact in one person or one thing or shift one little insignificant step. And at Thank You, that's what we did. 
Year one, we raised $7,500 profit. Year two, $7,800 profit. And year three, $21,000 profit. That is not good. At year three, we'd helped a few thousand people with clean water. Year one, it was a few hundred. Today, 755,000 and that number's growing every minute, every hour, every day. We're getting pretty pumped about the future, but it starts so small. We just can't be afraid of that start. And uh, it does lead to bigger if you turn up the next if, day. If you show up. Yeah. Okay, final question. And this is the same question that I always end with. If I can give you the stage through my magical mythical powers yeah. and I could give you a microphone and in front of you I can put, I would put everybody that you would ever want to reach, which for some people is 10 and for you I know is millions. What's the one thing, if I could give you their attention, what's the one thing you would want them to know? Well, it'd be hard to communicate. In one sentence it would be you have the power to change the world problem with the sentence is it's so cliche and so big that everyone's like what are you talking about but you actually do have the power to change what you see as wrong with your family friends relationship business world local issues you have the power this is a story of us changing something and i've seen it's possible and i know me well enough to know i'm not as good as you think i am i'm not as clever i'm not a, we've got great people we've worked a great story and built this great movement but we can all create change. And then the final challenge would be do not, do not aspire to this story or others. Get inspiration from them. But figure out what's your own story. What's that own unique change that you can bring? Because you can bring it. We've seen it time and time again through me, through lots and lots of people. Um, and our world definitely it needs change. So. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much for the interview and for your time and genuinely heartfelt for your your contribution. Thank you. You're epic. I can't think of another word. <laughs> Just epic. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found lots of useful insights and ideas for growing your influence. Thanks, as always, to our producer and the main brain behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You can find out a little bit more about me and the work that I do by jumping on my website, juliemasters.com, or by following me on Instagram, jules.masters. If you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an interview.